0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Salkox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's all a bit Harold Holt as we look into detail at a recurring theme in 2021, insurance affordability. It's sink or swim time for the cyclone reinsurance pool, and we dive into the federal government report. Are we any closer to a mutual for the amusement and leisure industry? Well, it's deep ends. And we've all been treading water about broker commissions with the Hain Review set to take place, but someone has already got a sinking feeling. Hello everyone, on our panel today are Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Managing Editor John Deeks and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Wendy. Good
1: morning,
0: Andrew. We spoke about this beforehand, but are things going swimmingly for you? Um, well, they could be going a little better after a, a bit of
1: flooding following the recent storms.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully your uh, your insurers will do you proud. Hello, John. Hi. As the butt of our British jokes, do you enjoy swimming?
2: Uh, yes, I do. And, and I noticed that people in Australia don't tend to head to the beach unless it's sort of 35, whereas I'm quite happy to dive in at... Sort of 19 or thereabouts. Uh, Perpetuating the stereotype there. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Your love of boats is almost as uh,
0: big as your last mooring feed. Do you enjoy swimming?
3: (laughs) Love swimming.
0: All right. So on to this week's main stories. I'd forgotten all about it, but the federal government has finally published details about its upcoming cyclone reinsurance pool. What does the document tell us, Wendy?
1: Well, it outlines quite a bit of the detail around it. Um, So it uh, says it would be mandatory for insurers covering risks in the area. The Australian Reinsurance Pool Corporation will declare an event based on Bureau of Meteorology site information. And the document set out the extent of cover for small business and strata as well as for homes other elements include that the age will 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 monitor pricing and whether savings are being passed through to policyholders and also you know the pools backed by a 10 billion dollar government guarantee but there is actually a mechanism to increase that after the consultations with the prime minister treasurer and finance minister um, if there should be a you know a horrific cyclone season or event that means um, more funds are required well, that's
0: interesting but um what is it left out?
1: Um, well, the main thing we don't know is is how the pricing for for insurers will actually uh, be set. So the reinsurance pool will be funded by premiums paid by insurers, um, and the formula for that is to be determined by July. Uh, and then, of course, um, we still don't know by how much premiums will actually be reduced for the for the policyholders in in Northern Australia.
3: So, Terry, is it going to work? Oh, that's unfair. Nobody can answer that yet. <laughs> um, Look, it's, it's good it's going to be placed in the capable hands of Chris Wallace and his team at the Reinsurance Pool Corporation, but a positive impact on householders and small business premiums is, is the target. So it'll be interesting to see if it does, in fact, achieve the level of reduction that everybody wants. But we don't yet know what the pricing formula will be for the insurers or, as Wendy has noted, a, another of um, number of other critical details. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But certainly the whole idea for the government is that it never has to put its hand in its pocket. So that's really, we have to wait and see if that will ever happen.
0: Over the last few weeks, I've been listening to John, but I haven't necessarily been understanding. So would this be a case for parametric?
2: The separate things, I guess. So both trying to solve the same problem in that parametric insurance could help in Northern Australia and it could help bring costs down a little bit. But uh, yeah, they're separate things really in that the parametric offerings are being designed by the private insurance market as an alternative to traditional insurance up there. But this uh, reinsurance pool is a government initiative that'll tie in with the private market to try and bring premiums down.
0: Well, from one insurance affordability crisis to another, John, it looks like we've moved a step closer to a mutual for the amusement and leisure industry.
2: Yes, we have. So the small business and family enterprise ombudsman, Bruce Bilson, has been investigating the problems with public liability insurance. And yesterday he published his final report now, as we've said before, the amusement, leisure and recreation industry has been concerned for a while that cover has been unavailable or at least unaffordable, and many operators need public liability cover to, to operate legally. So whether it's jet boats, trampoline parks or fairground rides, it's a growing problem with no easy solution. The report says we're, we could be about to see the end of things like rides at uh, shows, school fates and carnivals, leading to significant job losses and stranded assets. The show must go on, he says, and the only way to do that is through a discretionary mutual fund. The report says the Australian government should provide five million to help establish an initial capital pool and reinsurance would need to be purchased to supplement member contributions while the fund's reserves grow. Mr. Wilson says this mutual should be established within three to six months.
0: Well, I'm assuming this isn't a dream world kind of scenario. It's a, for smaller uh, fairground rides and such, which does seem that uh, you know it's pretty rare for uh, serious inc- incidents to occur. Why do you think insurance have backed away so fast?
2: Yeah, the, the report doesn't really explain that other than to point the finger at the general hardening of the insurance market. While there might be issues with injuries at things like trampoline parks, most industry participants would point to their excellent claims record. You mentioned Dreamworld there, and, and I guess when it does go wrong, it goes very wrong. So it's possible that insurers are just looking to take some risk out of their portfolios in the current hard market environment. And and probably like some other kinds of insurance, this business has been underpriced in the soft market phase and now it's more than catching up. Well,
0: Terry, I assume the insurance industry won't like increasing government involvement in, this, uh, in the insurance sector, will it?
3: Well, I, I just think we've reached a point where new approaches are needed. We're in various high-risk classes. We're seeing really insurers aren't competing or even wanting to be involved right now so maybe a discretionary mutual insurance arrangement could be an appropriate answer in this case although it's not easy to establish one or operate it and it wouldn't be a complete solution because the level of risk doesn't change no matter who's backing it and i'm not quite sure i can i see the you know, government—they want government involvement, i.e., government money, which is always a very difficult thing to achieve. Issues like this tend to arise in in higher risk industries at the low point of the cycle, where nothing's available and everyone's desperate. But look, even when the market recovers its risk appetite, fairground-type risks will still be difficult to manage, and cover will never be cheap, no matter how it's provided and so as the government's getting involved they they may encourage more approaches but i think you'll find them very reluctant to open their wallets
0: well there's been another business interruption class action launched wendy but this one's a bit different can you tell us more
1: the other legal actions have centered on the um, <clears throat> the bi um, policy cover itself but uh, this one which has been prepared but hasn't been lodged yet is a is a shareholder class action which claims investors have lost money because of inadequate disclosure by IAG over the BI losses it was potentially facing due to those old wordings signing the Quarantine Act. So after the um, first test case on that went against insurers last November, IAG announced a capital raising and post-tax provision of more than $800 million. And, and the, the, the shares after that um, announcement uh, dropped um, and the, the law firm says that was because the market was just basically shocked because the IAG hadn't previously um, given what it previously led people to believe that they'd, they'd already accounted for um, this this sufficiently. Um, and the lawyers say they um, they should have been providing more guidance um, so that the. People would have been, you know, more prepared. Terry,
0: you've got a, a spare eight hundred million sitting, um, you know, between the, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, behind the couch. Um, if you'd bought IAG shares just before the potential impact of the Quarantine Act issue was
3: announced, would you be miffed? Oh, possibly, but you know, that's the ins- the, the the investment game. Really, you shouldn't be buying shares in established businesses like IAG without understanding the the cyclical nature of the insurance industry or the fact that heavy losses could eat into your your uh, dividend. End of story.
0: So nothing to do with the fact that, you know, they were still using wordings with the Quarantine Act, despite the fact that it was referring to something from the 16th century.
3: <laughs> I refuse to, to comment on individual companies' problems, uh, particularly as they relate to shareholders.
0: And our listeners will be disappointed. But moving on. Broker missions could be a focus next year with the Hain recommended reviews to take place. But as we revealed through our daily news service last week, John, one underwriting agency has already announced they'll move
2: away from commissions. Yes, this this seemed to come a bit out of the blue, but Steadfast-owned Mansions of Australia will axe commissions and move to a fee-for-service model from March next year. Mansions, as most people will be aware, provides cover for high net worth individuals and families. And Steadfast believes it's ideally suited to a move away from commissions. It thinks Mansions clients will be more accepting of paying a fee. And so this is an obvious place to trial the new model. It says the model will deliver fairer and more transparent outcomes for consumers, but that it won't be rolled out to other Steadfast agencies or brokers. Just because it's appropriate for mansions, it says, doesn't mean it's appropriate for anyone else.
0: Terry, do you think we'll see other insurance companies
3: following suit? Oh, look, mansions, as John's mentioned, specialises in in high net worth homes. So there are some pretty solid reasons for Steadfast to uh, switch it to a fee for service. This sort of covers different. And high net worth clients are also usually high touch clients for brokers. So, uh, and if they're not, they should be. So a few brokerages follow the same fee-based path and they seem to be doing okay. It, it seems to be a very appropriate thing for mansions. I just don't know if it, if it is for necessarily for anything further down the line.
0: Do you think this is uh, steadfast testing the water for uh, for future changes?
3: Well, it's it's appropriate for um, for mansions, but I, I don't know if it would, necessarily be be appropriate for uh, for all of them but obviously steadfast has been looking at the whole area of uh, uh or at this whole area and um, you know you've seen change happening with, with qus so i, I think it, it's just a, a a normal thing that that will work pretty well at that end of the market.
0: So uh, it's not an admission that commissions are set to set to disappear?
3: Well, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, for a, a broker group to actually be dropping commissions. But I don't think you, you should start expecting Steadfast to suddenly be throwing commissions out the door. <laughs> Ain't going to happen.
0: Talking of throwing things out of the door, Wendy, there was one part of the doomed Aon Willis Towers Watson merger that actually survived as a multi-billion dollar deal was completed last week.
1: Yeah, um, well, before that Aon Willis merger was abandoned, they had agreed as part of efforts to, to um, get the deal through that um, uh, they would sell the uh, Willis reinsurance operations to Gallagher. So, so when the whole thing fell over, it looked like the Gallagher plan was going to go by the wayside as well. Uh, but they've re- resurrected it as a, a $3.25 billion US dollar deal. Um, and that transaction was completed last week. Uh, and with the uh, purchased uh, business to trade as uh, Gallagher Re.
0: And with all that money,
2: Willis Towers Watson uh, also made an
0: acquisition here in Australia, John. That's right. They announced yesterday
2: they've acquired Sydney-based aviation brokerage AeroShore, which has a large book of clients, including airlines, airports and air traffic control. AeroShore MD Greg Rector will join the company as MD Australasia Aviation Division and his team will also move across. Willis Towns Watson is clearly looking to build its position in the aviation market as travel ramps back up and hopes that this acquisition will put it one step ahead of its competition.
0: And on that note, it brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Terry McMullen and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.